0: Normally, when somebody's got a prohibition bottle, they probably like they find a case, a wooden crate of it, and shit. So there's always like twenty-four packs of those or whatever. It's not as it's not as rare, and you know what?
1: It's not as good. This particular episode is a fantastic one, so much so that there's an additional sixteen minutes of extra recording that I've added in towards the very end. You'll learn what it takes to be an epic bourbon hunter and listen to the incredible stories our guest has to tell. Once you hear the closing music, it's not over, so stay around towards the end. There won't be a podcast release next week since I'll be traveling out of the country for work, so I hope this bonus content keeps you occupied until then. As always, remember to support the show on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixirs Golden Hour Syrup. Welcome back to the episode of the Burn Pursuit podcast. Kenny and Ryan here. And this is a pretty special week because we are in Ryan's hometown. We're here in Bardstown for the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. And by doing all this, we saw a lot of big names popping up on the calendar of events. And I took it upon myself. I said, I'm just going to start emailing people and see who responds back, right? Because we've got so many icons in the industry that are coming here today. And this is, a, this is one hell of a festival.
2: Yeah, Bardstown Burnfest, I've, I've grown up around it. You know, kind of took it for granted when I was a kid. It's just like, oh, another weekend. But now, you know, it's become huge, and it's tons of a cool events. We're going to one tonight called Whiskey Pig. Uh, our guest is going to be a part of it. But uh, really excited to talk to him and hear his story uh, a lot. I'd say most people probably know who he is, but uh, it's, it's Bill Thomas from Jack Roses. He. He's a big whiskey collector, has one of the best bourbon bars, you know, in the country, and I'm excited to hear his story. I
1: think it, it might ravel the world. Maybe not just the country, <laughs> yeah, the, but maybe the world. the world. And we'll definitely want to talk about that a little bit more. So let's go ahead and introduce our guest. So Bill Thomas, the owner of Jack Rose, welcome to the show today. Yeah, thank you for asking me. So let's learn a, bit, a little bit more about you first, right? So kind of talk about your history and how you either got into uh, the dining, saloon business, or had a love affair with bourbon and whiskey? Kind of kind of, give us your history. Uh,
0: well, I first got in the bar business back in the 90s. Uh, and during that period when we had the, the first bar open, we kind of wanted to create an American concept. And we were sitting around one day and we were uh, shooting ideas and we all realized that we were all drinking bourbon. There was five of us sitting in a room and it was all different bourbons. And that just seems like the perfect umbrella for everything American. Right.
1: So, how did the idea about Jack Rose come about, or were there other things that you owned prior to that? Like, kind of kind of, give us some more uh, in-depth pieces yeah, to it.
0: Jack Rose came about because we needed shelf space.
1: <laughs> we, uh, we had two whiskey bars named Bourbon,
0: and we literally, they weren't big enough to house what we were doing. I mean, once you start uh, diving into Bourbon, you realize how many hundreds and thousands of expressions have been uh, distilled over the last 120 years, really. And trying to focus on a place where you could have all of those bottles front and center for everyone to geek out over. And and, and we're so geeky. I mean, we knew it was not only going to be, you know, people love seeing the bottles, they love drinking the bottles. So the way we designed it was you can see every label from three or four feet away at the most. Uh, you can request any bottle to be brought to the table. And when you actually order a whiskey, the bottle comes with it. So we wanted a place where absolutely everyone could geek out Uh over bourbon, kind of commiserate. It's not, you know, there's a lot of places out there that open up and call themselves a whiskey bar because they order a bunch of bottles. But if there's not people in there, like the person sitting next to you when you order that bottle and it comes to you, that you can commiserate, they're like, oh, you're drinking the, you know, the Noah's Mill 15, you know, I remember when I used to drink that. If you don't have that kind of camaraderie sitting at your bar, then you're not a whiskey bar. You're just a place with a bunch of whiskey. Uh, it's really about the people that show up that make it an actual whiskey bar.
1: So before we, we dive into it, and I might have jumped the gun a little bit. Kind of talk about how you got into <laughs> bourbon. Like, uh, how did you get into bourbon? Was it one day you you just kind of— What, made- what was the magic bottle that you're like, oh, this is—
0: You know what? It. I started off like everybody else. I mean, you, you start off— uh, Uh, drinking some of the old stuff. I mean, honestly, probably when I first started drinking whiskey, blends still ruled the world. And then you realize you're drinking these these blended scotches, and then somehow you grab that first bourbon. You're like, this is way better. This is way better. (laughs) I mean, uh, not that I don't drink blends and anybody out there that loves blends, but in comparison, blends can't stand up to it. And and single malts have been around, but when you get a bourbon, uh, that big, lush mouthfeel, you know, you get those old Forsters, uh, those big brown sugar bombs, uh, cinnamon bombs from back in the eighties and seventies. And you're like, wait a minute, this is amazing. And then you, you know, it was right there, uh, at the beginning when say Elmer T. Lee and Blanton's were coming out and, and all that. And you realize that people are putting out some really amazing products and you just go one to the next, you start off like everyone else, your T. Lee, your Blantons, then you got Booker's coming out. Then you finally have Stag coming out in 2002. Uh, and you're just off to the races at that point, you know? I mean, they're just creating so much uh, great stuff, a lot of cash stuff stuff. Uh, you just can't help but keep going one to the next. I mean, you just find out that there's a thousand bottles that you can drink, and each one is completely different. Oh, awesome. So when you
2: first started, did you make the natural progression, like we yeah. always do, starting mixing with Coke, and then water, and then, you know, to neat, and then barrel-proof? Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, we
0: always say, there's no wrong way to drink whiskey, dress drink whiskey. And in our business, we're hospitality. And we just want you to enjoy it the way you want to enjoy it. Now, we will obviously uh, make suggestions <laughs> if you order a great whiskey. You know, maybe we'll say, hey, just try it. We bring you a little eyedropper if you want to drop a uh, one drop of distilled water in there. But if you just feel like having... Uh, bourbon and ginger, which is a classic combo, and I, I mean, I think they're amazing. I'll drink it. Or if you want a great whiskey, uh, you know, Turkey 101 is a you know great for you know, Manhattan. Just drink whiskey. That's how how we feel. When I was growing up, I, I mean, my family's been in the restaurant uh, business since the uh, turn of the century. We opened up uh, our first Irish bar in D.C. Uh, right around the turn of the century, and it, 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 one of the things that really with with bourbon, it's kind of the history of America. But when I looked at one of our locations, which is owned by somebody else. Uh, now, but I looked and I said, "Wow, that's been an operating restaurant and bar now for over a hundred years." So I wanted to do something that we could then have for over a hundred years. So one of the reasons of building the inventory for Jack is uh, to have be able to people to have the expressions that they had when they were twenty, and now they're fifty, and they're still coming back to the same bar. Or excuse me, 21. That's good. <laughs> right. Uh, right.
1: Uh, well, it might have been 18 back then, yeah, right? Yeah.
0: When I was growing up, when I was growing up, DC was 18. Yeah. So we were hitting bars. I mean, I was in, unfortunately I was in bars when I was like, my first bar was like 15, because you know how like everything else. You know, you can find the bars now. They're 21. They let in 18. Back then, when you were at 18, they found bars that were in 15 year olds. <laughs> it was weird to be standing around a bar and seeing some of your classmates at you
2: said, 15. Yeah, an ID like McGlovin. You know, it, the, you know what <laughs> from Hawaii. I, I yeah,
0: from Hawaii. It was uh, way better than that, and way easier to get IDs back then. So I don't even want to say how you he Don't try to age yourself there. I don't age
1: myself, <laughs> but, uh, well,
0: if the drinking age was 18, I pretty
1: much age myself right there. Alone, <laughs> right. So, so, th- yeah. So I guess one thing we did forget to mention is location of Jack Rose, right? right? Because people that are, uh, maybe they're right now, they're on their phone trying to Google it, even trying to figure out like, where is this magical place that we've never heard about? Right. The so kind of, kind of, yeah. Kind of so, give so, it some ideas. So j- you find just to give
0: it. you a historical reference, go to the place where Reagan was shot and walk a block. And that's pretty much, uh, we're right by the Washington Hilton, which is in, uh, the DuPont Circle Adams Morgan area. So it's right in the center of the city. We're about a mile from the White House. It's an easy walk to the White House from where we are. So what's also great about Jack's Placement and is the fact that it is in the center of the city. It's an international city. So you get people from all over the world coming to drink there. So it allows us the ability to carry a lot of stuff that we otherwise couldn't because you have this great density of, uh, of interesting whiskey people from all over the country. I just had these great guys in from i who I met here two years ago. They were here for uh, for Bourbon Fest, and I met them. They flew in. Their first stop here was coming to DC, and they spent four nights in a row at Jack Rose, just drinking through all the stuff that they couldn't get in Australia. And then they were heading then they were heading here next. That's awesome. So it's awesome. I mean, that but that's Jack Rose is a little bit of a mecca. But it's really about, like I said, now I get to hang out with people from Australia, and and it's just such a, a collaboration of people coming through and just you know telling us about what they're doing there and or or, or whiskeys they make in Tasmania. So it's great, but their bourbon is still their love. I mean, at the end of the day, bourbon has just traveled all around the world. And it really turns people into making, you know, being great whiskey lovers. And in turn, then it inspires people to open up the to kind of copy what we're doing, what we're doing. Like I'm a Kentuckian now. <laughs> I, I never thought Kentucky would be the most important state in the union to me. You probably spent enough it here. Where you- <laughs> I, I don't know. I spent I spend actually almost, uh,
1: I'd say, two months out of the year now in wow. Kentucky, which is a lot to right. spend outside of where you live. So, so talk a little bit more, because I I, I want to be able to say that I think it's without a doubt that a lot of bourbon bars across the country, they should be able to aspire to what is Jack Rose and their whiskey selection, and everything like that. So kind of off the top of your head, I'm sure that the number is changing by the minute, but how many bottles of whiskey and bourbon do you guys have we try in inventory? To, uh, we try to maintain, well, different expressions at one time, we try to maintain at least
0: 2,700, which is where we are now. We're, we keep trying to grow, but one of the things to stop us from growing is the fact that there's so many great whiskey drinkers out there, and it's impossible. I mean, we're selling about ten thousand bottles a year now of whiskey, so sourcing that many whiskeys is uh, very difficult. So, and, and and growing the list, but what's more important? Who cares about growing a list? That's not what counts. It's about keep revolving the list. So, if you come in this week or this month, there could be. 30 new whiskeys that are like great iconic whiskeys that you never got to try. So having a stagnant list means nothing. It's having, finding every gem I can out there and having people to be able to come in every day, every week, every month, or the one time they come to DC in the year, and they have all these new whiskeys that they've read about, they've heard about, uh, new releases, old releases, and being able to like just introduce them to something that they've always wanted to try. And that's what I think is is amazing. It's not about the numbers. You can have 200 great revolving whiskeys that's what counts. It's about the whiskeys you do have. Um, you know, I was just at the Harrison Smith house this morning and I looked, they got 60 whiskeys. And I looked at that shelf and I was like, man, I would be totally happy to drink here for the next week. Yeah. Just, I mean, you know, you got 20 Willets on the shelf. You got Wild Turkey 17, the Wild, Wild Turkey 1998. You got some, you know, El- Elijah Craig 12 cash Strength hidden in the back. I mean, there's just such great whiskeys. So it's really about having great whiskeys as opposed to having like Thousands, but besides that, let me answer. We do have another <laughs> six thousand bottles in storage, oh, wow. on top of the twenty seven hundred different expressions, plus another 1,500 backups ready to replace them. So you know, we just keep building and keep building and keep buying collections. I just bought whiskey right before you, you know, right before you guys got here. So,
2: so without giving out all your secrets, because I'm sure you want to hoard all these bottles yourself, right? But because <laughs> it's getting definitely more and competitive, you know, to get Competitor, these bottles. Yeah. So. Talk about where you are sourcing these bottles and kind of just you know and how difficult it has become. It's uh,
0: it's definitely more competitive and difficult to get bottles, and the pricing keeps going up. And that's it's unfortunate because there's a lot of great whiskeys now that are, are uh, getting higher and higher simply because people are collecting. First of all, you know whiskey's meant to be drunk. So if you're staring at that bottle on your shelf right now, you should you should drink it. Because it will go bad over time, or call you, call yeah. me. Yeah, you, you know what? You can call. You can call me. I'll buy it, and then I'll have you know fifty people. And you'll get sell to try it, it for a
2: profit. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I will. That's good. <laughs> but we try to keep the prices at a reasonable level. I mean, the point is, you want people to be able to afford to drink whiskey, and kind of our mission right now and recently. I mean, you just wake up one day and you realize, man, this is not over. This is going to keep going for years. This the whiskey is on fire. It's never going to go back to the way it was in the seventies when it fell out of fashion. It's you know we're looking at global expansion of the product. We're looking at more and more people in the U.S. You're looking at a diversity—the amount of people that are are drinking. It's not just uh, you know a typical drinker probably would would be a white male at one point. Now it's all over the map. We have just as many women. We have uh, different ethnic ethnic groups, different countries. I mean, everybody's into bourbon, and that's just going to keep the demand going higher and higher, and the prices going higher and higher. So the mission is to buy everything you get your hands on now,
2: so you can have a reasonable uh, priced inventory 20 years from now. So the, the days I read about, I read a little thing in the Washington Post about, uh, you found nine bottles of Pappy for $130 or something. The days of that are long gone. Days of that. (laughs) I tell you what,
0: when they, when the old Rip Van Winkle 15, which they, which is now what, you know, is Pappy 15, uh, back in the early 2000s when they discontinued that squat bottle 15, I was picking them up here in uh, Bardstown and throughout Kentucky for like 22 (laughs) bucks. You know, in one one place, it was in a dump bin. They were just uh, clearance. Let's get rid of this. And we bought a ton of that up. We were lucky enough to pull that. When I look back at my original uh, uh, whiskey lists back from the early 2000s, that was $9 for two ounces on Old Rip Van Winkle 15. And those of you who are listening, uh, you're all whiskey heads. You know that that's like, you're you're probably right now going, God damn. That's like crazy. (laughs) So— it's amazing. But watching, you know, trying to source whiskey, I mean, obviously we have a reputation for buying. We're fair. If you call me up, I'll try and give you a fair price. And anyone who tries, and there's guys out there that try and kind of, I don't want to say rip people off, but they send you these lowball offers. And I'm like, don't they know that Google is just like one click away? I mean, you know, you you do this thing and you're going to try and steal this bottle from someone. The best thing is put your best foot forward, give them a a fair price on it and buy it. So we get a lot of referrals uh, somebody finds a bottle, and then their friend finds a bottle, or five bottles in their basement, and uh, we get a phone call. So that's one great way. That's so that's one way we still have a leg up on uh, finding bottles that other people can't get. It's just because uh, of our reputation in the market. Obviously, there's auction sites. I mean, you have the major auctions. Uh, you know, obviously, we all know Sotheby's and Christie's and stuff like that. They have uh, auctions, but there's other smaller auction sites that you buy whiskey, Germany, Japan. Uh, eBay, overseas, (laughs) all those different things. Uh, I, I, you know, I just, for my personal collection, I just got a bottle uh, from Hong Kong the other day. And uh, it was was a chore to get it out of Hong Kong and get it here. But, you know— we do it. So we're just sourcing from from anywhere. And, and just anybody who's got a list. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of whiskey turns over when a family member passes away and collections go up for sale. Uh, but I'm sure that person, you know, ultimately appreciates that the whiskeys are getting out there and getting
1: drunk. I mean, obviously, it was their passion, their love. So that's just going
0: on to a new group of people. It's their
1: passion. And that's what's great. I think a good question to ask even before because we talked about sourcing these things and being able to bring them into the store, uh, but there might be some some owners out there that are kind of wondering like how the hell are they able to do this? So kind of explain the the laws in DC and how you have that advantage because because I live in the the best
0: city <laughs> in the world, I live in the only federal city in in the United States, and that means that you know. If you and a group of friends get together and you buy a barrel of whiskey somewhere and get a label made for it, it has to have federal label approval. And since we're a federal city, we only have federal label approval. There's no uh, county or state. So once that's uh, done, you get federal label approval. I can buy whiskey from anywhere in the United States. Any bottle that's ever been made has had federal label approval. I buy that, I fill out an application form, I pay an additional tax, it's on my shelf the next day. So whiskeys that I'm buying right now here today, when I leave this podcast, I will go buy whiskey and I will be on the shelf on Monday when I get back at Jack. I camped out at Heaven Hill the other night. You asked me how I get whiskey? <laughs> I put in the legwork. I went and camped out candidate. at Heaven Hill mm-hmm. to get one of 25 bottle releases. I mean, it's it's not it's not like it's a, uh, I've got this magic of finding bottles. I just put in the legwork and I hustle and we do what it takes to make sure that we get bottles. Because when people come to Jack Rose, they expect we were going to have it, the newest releases and the old vintages. So it takes a lot of legwork, a lot of time, and a lot of hustle. But so I like the
1: hustle. So, what's easier to get now? The older, the newer, the newer releases or those older vintages? The older vintages to me are,
0: are easier to get. They're more costly. Obviously, they're a lot more expensive, but getting this year's B tax. You know, I mean, obviously the Sazerac, I think, has a really low yield, but the William Lowry Weller has 40% more yield this year, which is going to be great for all of us, except for the fact that there's expanding markets and more people are drinking it. So, even though there's, you know, more we probably still will have the same access or less than we had last year. But that's great. I mean, you know, I want more people to drink whiskey. That's why we open whiskey bars. So I can't then say, you know, I'm saddened that I can't get as much. You know, more people are drinking whiskey. You know, I just want you to make more. That's all. Be
1: careful what you wish for. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm sure you have your your regular patrons that, that come and, you know, have a drink after work or anything like that. Are a lot of the regular patrons are those the ones that are wanting to explore a lot of older things, or Are they more or less wanting to get a chance to try all the newer things? Uh, what do you kind of see is your the, a lot of the target of the people that come in there that are your kind of regular customers? Are they really they're really going for? You know, it,
0: it, you know whether it's they learn it through a podcast, whether they learn it through a uh, a website, whiskey magazine, whiskey advocate, they keep on top of what's coming out new release wise. So. They always want to try the new releases, but they generally would come in and ask the staff, you know, what vintage bottle did you get? Just pour what you think the best is. So there's a lot of trust that's been built up between the regular uh, that come in and the staff. They know that uh, we can't even keep up with the whiskey book because stuff's coming in every day. So the whiskey book, there could be 200 expressions that aren't on the book that have come in in the last week and a half, two weeks. So when you have that kind of repeat business, you have to kind of uh, build a rapport with the staff. They know what you're drinking. If you're a bourbon guy, if you're a scotch guy uh but it's that kind of uh, interaction between the staff and the customer that keeps i think Jack successful just having those bottles new and old
2: so so out of the 6000 bottle you know plus bottles you have yeah. there has to be a few that have just like stood down and you're like oh man I don't want to drink. I I, I want to drink this, in, but I, I don't want to drink it because I don't want it to end. This ball to end. You know what?
0: There, you know, somebody asked me one time, uh, "What's the one bottle in all the bottles you have that you wouldn't drink?" And I was like, "You know what? It's not a matter of would would or I wouldn't drink it. It's with who I would drink it. So most of the rare bottles that get opened at my house are when there's six whiskey guys that come over, and that's who you want to share it with. So you know, whether it's a you know a 1950s old Fitzgerald. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the old Brown Foreman stuff. Obviously that's taken a big jump, all the ND, the Taylors. Um, but you know, bottles are just meant to be drunk. And I think it's just the company that you want to drink them with. And, you know, uh, obviously we're, uh, you know, there's been times when Jack Rose has been extremely, extremely busy and whiskey guys have come in. I'm like... We're so busy that I actually walked down to my house and we drink. I'm sometimes the worst businessman. I take all these whiskey people that want to buy whiskey. I take them down to my house and we drink. You, you know, like expensive for whiskey for free. It's like <laughs> the, it was the worst. I, I, always tell the story when we opened up the first bar, the first bourbon bar. Uh, nobody was really into whiskey. I mean, this is, I mean, it's exploded now, especially the last five years. I mean, we're talking exponential growth. But if you go back ten years or twelve years, nobody really cared. Somebody would walk in and be like, "Hey, what's that that bottle up there?" I'd be like, "For that bottle." I'd, before you know it, I'd be sitting on the other side of the bar with them. And then I'd be copying the whole check just to have someone to talk to. (laughs) This is like,
1: you
2: know, at least now I'm making some money on it. But uh, it's definitely, it's it's amazing how bourbon creates that connection between people. You know, you can, like you said, just sit around with a group of people, have a bottle, and you can like all connect with it. Just you know, sitting around enjoying it.
0: Yeah. If this was uh, in here, we're all drinking Johnny Drum uh, twelve year old now, and if you know that bottle, thanks. uh, It's it's a dinosaur. Yeah, Drew Colesveen was uh, nice to uh, not only bottle this, but uh, get me a bottle the other day. The last time I had
2: this was. Way before it was even cool, and I didn't even know it was cool. So yeah, but you drink this, and it's amazing. Oh, it's incredible. So,
0: yeah, so. and yeah, just drinking with good people. You can travel the country now. Once you start getting into the whiskey with with whiskey people, you can pretty much couch surf your way across the United States. They're happy to have you, and they're happy to share their collections. I mean, there's people staying at my house right now. I'm out of town. They're at home, and I'm like, drink what you want. You know, I left a key for them, and that happens all the time. We have whiskey people that save the house and. Uh, happy to have them. The only problem is uh, washing all the glasses. That's <laughs> right. I was about to say. I
1: think we could create a new category in like Airbnb of whiskey or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that whole talk of camaraderie, I think it kind of brought up a pretty good question in my mind. So I'm going to point this to you, Bill. So if you were to share a drink with one person, past, present, or possibly even fiction, who would it be? It could be idols. It could be whoever. It could be, I mean, Hulk Hogan. It could be <laughs> whoever.
0: Uh. You know what? I, I you know if I could share a whiskey, unfortunately, uh, before the word whiskey, it would be my dad. He passed away uh, prior to uh, us really exploding in the in the in the whiskey scene. And I would love to have a whiskey with him. Other than that, probably Abraham Lincoln. <laughs>
2: <laughs> not, <laughs> I just I, not there's us. A, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> there, there,
0: there's a there's fam- a favorite favorite quote from Lincoln. He uh, he said, "Good things goes comes to those who wait, but only those things left by." Th- from those who hustle. And being a bit of a hustler, I love that quote. I just love the fact that Lincoln used the word hustle. So I think that guy would be a good guy to drink with. Awesome. So, yeah, to be
2: in the bourbon game, you got to be a hustler. That's you for do. Sure. I'm it's, too lazy now these days. I tell you what, the, I, I think
0: the guys who are sourcing whiskey, I mean, it, it takes a lot of effort, you know, out there uh, to find these bottles. But you really got to be, you know, the old Dusty Hunters. Obviously, the guys are out there uh, looking at liquor stores, obviously, that's a tough game now because there's been so many. The explosion over the last, especially five years, that uh, you know most shelves are are gone. You know, there's no dusty. Although, I was here in Kentucky going to buy a collection, and we put in the wrong address in the GPS and went two hours out of our way. And we hit an old liquor store. This was in Kentucky. This was six weeks ago. I walked in. I picked up an old Rip 10. A Pogue Master Select right. and the, the new Booker's Rye, and I was like, "This is crazy! Yeah. Know, I can't believe I'm finding even this stuff sitting on a shelf."
1: I'm, you know, I'm kind of mad to be honest with you. It is, <laughs> it's crazy, right?
0: You know, every time, every time you think you know it's over, you know, a new a new store owner buys a store, cleans out the back room. You know, I always tell people, if you, you know, the old days of going to a liquor store, looking at the shelves, and saying, "Oh, there's there's uh, there's an old bottle there. Let me get that. Can I see that?" Really, then it got to the point where, and you know, I'm talking to all the dusty guys out there, and they know what to do, and that's getting back in the office and finding those bottles that are holding up their books you know on the shelf that they thought it was a cool looking bottle so it's been sitting there for 20 years i mean you got to get in the back rooms you got to get behind the bulletproof glass uh you know all the dusty guys know the tricks you got to look look uh look like you wouldn't harm a fly <laughs> it's kind of hard to say hey you got bulletproof glass Go on behind the lottery can ticket. i get back there yeah yeah you know and then they have to ask him for a ladder because you want to get up and see you know it's it's crazy but you know dusty guys are pretty persistent
1: So So you're talking about doing all these different collections and you have your own personal stash as well. And you were here in Bardstown, camping out, getting the new Parker's Heritage and the new William Heaven Hill. Now, how do you decide what goes to the business versus what goes to your personal stash? Or is it just kind of a gray area all in general?
0: Every whiskey that I have is either going to be drunk at my house or at the bar. I mean, it's, it's all there for, for whatever we need. I mean, I look at it as, Kind of just a uh, ever changing warehouse for for the bar. Um, it's great. I like to you know I like looking at bottles as much as the next guy, but I want to keep the you know the products flowing in a jack. So it's just a it's it's funny. Jack pays me. I go buy whiskey. Then Jack buys the whiskey. <laughs> it, the money just goes. It, it just keeps going in a circle. Uh, so there's nothing. I mean, it's all it's all going to be at Jack or one of the you know we've got another whiskey bar opening up uh, in about ten months. So we're, uh, you know, we're going to need, you know, opening inventory, a couple thousand bottles of air. So you just, everything's ready to, to get out there.
1: So at the very beginning, before we started recording this, you talked about doing private barrel picks. You talked about finding some of those barrels that even Ryan said, the ones that maybe be leaking a little bit, kind of yeah. share a lot of some of these theories that you said you have on, on from private barrel picks. And yeah. how do you go about convincing the master distiller to say, I, no, i I want that barrel.
0: You know, I mean, obviously, uh you know, when we first start, started doing barrel picks, uh, it was back in the day when there was a lot of whiskey to be purchased and they were open to it. I mean, obviously now uh, some people have barrel programs. It's pretty static. But in the old days, walking into the distillery and just being like, hey, can we uh, buy some barrels? They're like, yeah, that's great. You know, you know, you might even get taken out to dinner. You know, now you walk in, they're <laughs> like, we'll schedule in for a time. Maybe we'll sell, sell you a barrel. Um, it's I, you again, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in fact, back in the day, though, I will say this, uh, uh, you know, I tried to buy barrels from Heaven Hills for years and every year they would take me into the boardroom, sit me down and uh, they would come up with a new polite way to say no, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, they were the way, uh, Max and Harry. It's weird sitting with uh, and, and Harry who we lost uh, last year, obviously, or has it been two years now? Time flies. But, um, you know, my my favorite story about uh, uh, Harry is they, they took me back in the room and it's Max and it's Harry and they're sitting there and I'm like, hey, can I buy some barrels? And every year I'd be like, you know, this year, I'm going to say, I'll take 100, you know, whatever. I just kept up in the game. Uh, and they'd be like, you know what? No, but uh, you can use some of our logo licensing and this and that. And every year. And then one year, they gave me, they just like, they gave me a big tub full of T-shirts, coffee, everything swag. <laughs> They're like, we just can't do it this year. Maybe next year. And uh, so, I'm, I'm hauling this big tub out to my car of all the stuff they gave me in the plight where they said No. And uh, Harry Shapiro comes running out to the car and goes, hey, I need my tub back. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're good businessmen. They make a lot of great whiskey. They go, and, you know, the great thing about them, just to, just to be fair, is they, uh, I did an article the other day, and they asked me some of the best values on the market. And they've been really good about keeping some of the prices down. The McKenna Tan, I mean, one of the best, oh, yeah. you know, Larceny. Uh uh, the Elijah Craig 12 Year cash rank, I think, is one of the best affordable whiskeys out there. So um, you know they might be they're pretty shrewd business guys, but they you know they deliver a lot of great whiskey uh, at an affordable price for the drinker, which is still great. A lot of places, a lot of places don't. It's hard to get your hands on stuff.
2: They say they can always squeeze like a dime out of a penny. Is the saying <laughs> about them?
0: Yeah? yeah, yeah. They they do a good job, but they make good whiskey. So yeah, the, for sure. Uh, you know, p- think about, and I think for a lot of us, especially early on. Uh, uh, Mike Miller at Delilah's in Chicago, uh, myself, uh, Linell, uh, who had Red Hook, uh, the liquor store. Uh, we were all big barrel people, and we'd see each other. Uh, Tatsumi at Rogan's in Japan. You know, on a given day, you'd be at, and I, I think one of the one of the kind of the linchpins for those of us who were trying to take whiskey uh, and get get better whiskey for everyone to drink was barrel picks, and there was one epicenter for barrel picks, and probably still is, um, is Willitt Distillery. I mean, going and doing Willet Barrel Picks, I would show up on a given day and I'd be, uh, you know, walking with Mike Miller to pick stuff for Chicago or Tatsumi would be there from Japan. And it was like crazy. It became this epicenter of whiskey people just meeting and buying barrels and taking them back to their 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 home states or, or, or across the seas to Japan. I mean, it's, it's amazing uh, whiskey. And I always looked at, I always look at barrel picks as, you know, most of us do them at cash strength. So you get to see the whiskey right from the barrel, uh, right to the bottle, you get to see all the great kind of nuances of the whiskey. I think it's, it's the one key thing that keeps anybody who's into whiskey. And I, and I find barrel picks bring Scotch people over to bourbon. You know, Scotch is a really complex spirit and I feel it, you know, nothing is uh, a barrel picks or or cash strength whiskey kind of can match up with any of the best single malts. You know, it's a great bridge that brings people over, but Barrel Pick's probably kept me energized. You know, it's not just sourcing what's coming out. It's going there, and I always always think of a Barrel Pick as saving it from a from a blend or <laughs> saving it right. from, you know, being, you know, it was a service that I did. And I think that, you know, Drew offering that program for so many years really helped kind of push, push the whiskey market in a direction that uh, a lot of people then picked up on. All of a sudden, you saw more places releasing cash-strength whiskeys, uh, giving you access. So... I think for me, there's certain there's certain kind of milestones, uh, you know, opening up your first bar and buying everything, uh, which back in the day, and uh, I would actually call one of the first guys I ever met was Drew, and then Guthrie at Toddy's, yep, which to me is like one of the most iconic places here uh, in uh, in Bartstown. But I would literally, the first time I walked into a store, because in D.C. back then when we first opened, there was like 40 whiskeys available. Then you come here to Kentucky, the epicenter. You come to Bardstown. I looked at his shelf and I was like, I don't have that, I don't have that. Before you know it, I'm like, I'm picking up another 40, 50 bottles. And then I took him back and we'd blow through them. And then I was calling him and being like, I need 20 cases of Yellow Label, Four Roses, 20 cases of Single Barrel, 20 cases of McKenna, 20 cases of Old Heaven Hill Bond. Um, And I would literally... Get off the plane, grab a U-Haul, drive to Toddy's. He'd have it waiting outside for me. <laughs> I load up 150 cases of booze. This and is got ha- three. Just yeah. get nice. He would he would have it ready for me, and I would haul it haul it back to DC. And that's what we we kind of lived on. We you know four, before Four Roses when it first became available, it was only available here, and then it you know hit a couple states. Now it's obviously widely available. But if you didn't come to Kentucky back in the day in the 2000s, your access to whiskey was almost nothing. So you had to be here. And anybody who missed those great days of coming to Kentucky— And now it's uh,
2: reversed. We can't get shit. <laughs> I, it's crazy. It everywhere.
0: I, I, it's amazing. It's, it, you know, no one can. I mean, obviously, everyone everyone across the country now is complaining about access, which is even more important for me to obviously get out there and um, talk to people, trade. You know, obviously, I would much of trade than buy. If anybody's listening, find me today.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll your a trade Twitter handle. It. Twitter handle. Yeah. <laughs> Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. shopify.com slash bourbon. I guess that's a good question to bring up as well, because you have a you know, you've had this connection with Drew, you've known him for a lot of years, you've you've got a crazy amount of Willets at your at your establishment. How did you actually get connected with Drew in the very beginning? Was it just a phone call or was it somebody else introduced him? I mean, you?
0: obviously there there was one guy who's kind of the the grandfather of barrel picks, hands down, and that's Doug Phillips. So I don't know if you guys know Doug, but uh, he was the first one to reach out and do that 22-year-old rye. And that was the that's what sparked kind of sparked this whole revolution of barrel picks. Uh, a friend of mine knew Doug, and I was like, "Well, that's a great idea. So let's go down and visit Drew. Let's go. Let's go meet this guy." I mean, I think it, it, it was like a week before I was like, "Let's get on a let's get on a plane and go see where we find U-Haul. out." You know, and, and I met Drew and I don't think he was married to Janelle yet, but here he is. We're at dinner, and I was like, "I like to buy barrels." We're like, "Yeah, great. Let's do this." <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like instantaneous. <laughs> I, like, I got barrels to sell, and then and then I and then I got back to DC, and I said, "I said, I okay, I just bought three barrels of whiskey." that's a lot of whiskey for one thing. And I was like, uh, I don't, what are we going to do with this? So my family started a distribution company. And uh, so that's, what's great about all those barrel picks is uh, we use part of it for the bar, but the rest went out to every other bar and restaurant. And I think that's why DC scene kind of developed the way it is. And it's, it's obviously a huge, uh, it's a huge whiskey drinking town, but it's really a town that uh, is big into Willett's big into barrel picks because we got them out to every bar and restaurant. We got them out to, uh, Uh, liquor stores. So, part of every barrel was always going out to the public. And that's what I think uh, just helped kind of build in D.C. And we were, you know, laying out that money back then. It was all the money in the world to buy a barrel, Mm -hmm. you know? And those barrels right now, if I told you how much they cost, you'd be like— You'd laugh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, those barrels were the price of one single bottle of, like, you know, a vintage whiskey now. Yeah. It was crazy to think of what the pricing was. Um, and obviously we'd look for special barrels. We'd go into the brick house and we'd be like, uh, the one over there with all the bird shit on it. Let's do that. (laughs) And my, my theory was anybody else who was doing barrel picks, maybe was too lazy to want to put their hands on a dirty barrel. You know? So we'd pick those barrels. Um, when we first started barrel picks too, you didn't buy it by the bottle like you do today. You'd buy it by the barrel. So you'd taste the barrel. If you liked it, you'd give it a shake. You'd be like, that one's pretty full. I'll take this barrel. (laughs) So that's how we started. But then you started to learn barrel picks. We started to do some, uh some barrel picks where they were light barrels. And all of a sudden, every time we tried one of these barrels, it was like half full that, it, you know, had a leak that was plugged at some point. The whiskey seemed to be really, really good. So then we started looking for barrels that were half filled all the time. Uh, we did one called Tobacco Road. Um, trying to think, of, we recently, one of the last barrel picks we did was uh, Boardwalk. And they they some of them yielded 40, 40 bottles. Uh, some yielded like maybe 80 when they should be yielding 160. And we always found that when we tried these uh Barrels, they were just absolutely amazing. So that be kind of a, it became a thing, and I, I recently started buying barrels um of new make from all these different distilleries and having them uh sorted at a distillery here in Kentucky. And I'm actually I had them fill barrels partial way. I was about to say I'm trying
1: to recreate the magic. Are you going through and then just like poking holes in them? Like <laughs> no, I, I,
0: you know, it, it, it up the cost. You know, it's going to up the co- you know we won't know for five years, six years whether it, it worked or not. But you know what, I, I plan to be in you know. Uh, we built Jack Rose I, I keep saying that you know if my kids wouldn't be interested well when I have kids uh, <laughs> if they're not interested in running Jack Rose then hopefully someone from the staff and so, or someone's kid from the staff who's been working with us you can call me it'll be a I'll meritocracy you know I want to do a meritocracy if you're into whiskey then you get to run the show so you know we're trying to build an inventory and in stockpile enough inventory for a hundred years right now and I and you know I thought about it the other day. I was like, oh, the 50th anniversary, that'd be great. And I was like, wait a minute, I won't be here for the 50th anniversary this <laughs> far. But somebody will be. And they'll be drinking great Willets and they'll be drinking, uh, you know, great whiskey from all the distilleries. So I'm, I'm pretty geeked out thinking that, it, you know, the kind of the legacy is for the whiskey drinker.
1: I'll ask a question about your barrel picks because we see a lot of barrel picks come out from Willet and they've got these kind of crazy names. You know, you, you talked about yours, Boardwalk. You got Doug Green Ink. You got Red Hook Rye. You've got all right. these things that have been out there. How do those names come to you? Well, it's funny because, like, obviously, uh,
0: Doug's green ink is because they, it was for Doug Phillips on the back. It's just written in green ink. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, the kind of the uh, the society of whiskey drinkers out there kind of dubbed it. Uh, Red Hook came out because it was—her liquor store was in Red Hook. So it was Red Hook Rye. We, from day one, started giving them names based on um, a feeling or, or something. We, In many ways, it's right after the malt Whiskey Society in Scotland they give things a name, it evokes it an emotion. Like it reminds you of, uh, you know, I mean, one whiskey that they did put out was one called Cannabis, Limes, and Chocolate. I was pretty clear what you're getting out of that whiskey. <laughs> um, but we would name whiskeys, uh, you know, based on if, if, when we all drank it, if it had, like we did one called Double Bean because it was, uh, uh, it reminded me of like coffee beans and and uh, uh, smoky beans and stuff like that. So we, you know, we all were Double Bean. We did one called Time Out, because we found that this particular whiskey was really tight right out of the bottle. But if you gave it 30 minutes in a glass, it completely changed. So we named it Time Out to tell people, hey, take a break. In fact, we always recommend that you get another whiskey and then get that whiskey at the same time and let it sit for 30 minutes. So we wanted to pick a name that reminded people to do that. So Time Out, the Velvet Glove and Iron Fist were really good. One was a little more subtle than the other. They were 137 and 137.1 proof. So, you know, just having them play against each other. Um, uh, we did one called uh, First in War and First in Peace. Um, we didn't get First in War because the barrel accidentally got dumped before we got it. So we ended up with just First in Peace. But, um, but that's it. We just wanted—sometimes uh, uh, Chocolato had a lot of chocolate notes. Uh, we did one called Montezuma because it had that, that kind of dark, unsweetened chocolate uh, note. We did one called Cherry Bomb because it kind of reminded us of Stitzel. And we always thought Stitzel has a little bit of a cherry note to it. So it became cherry bomb. So Prasada, a uh, salted ham. You, I mean, you just get this. I mean, you just, if you get that kind of flavor uh, from it, uh, you just kind of come up with these names. And we sit around, you know, I'd, I'd fly in, I'd, I'd buy, a, I'd get some barrel samples. we take them back to a controlled environment because everything tastes great in a rick. When you're in the rick house and you're trying to bust it open 20 barrels a day, you're, you're looking to uh, kind of get rid of the major flaws. And then you take what you think are your best ones, because ultimately you're going to get palate fatigue even if you're spinning. You take those back to a controlled environment and you try them again. And then you narrow those 20 samples down to like, say, three barrels that you think are just absolutely amazing. So that's what we did. We were very, very conscious of trying to pick the best barrels. And there was times that we flew down, picked barrels, and then decided that none of them were good enough, you know, for what we thought. The DC Willets, we just thought they weren't good enough. So we kept kind of just refining that kind of uh, the whiskeys that we thought the 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 other whiskey, fellow whiskey people really geek out over and really love. So we put a lot of time and effort into each pick. Um, And, you know, one day if the barrel program returns, uh, because obviously Willett is is so successful. I mean, they're producing so much whiskey now and they, you know, even their regular brands have just gone through the roof that, you know, their focus is there. But, you know, just getting back in the Rick House I was lucky enough to to fly in a few weeks ago with Drew and we picked the whiskeys for tonight so we picked we went through and we tried you know 20 barrels and we picked uh three barrels that 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 people are going to enjoy tonight and uh one's a 23 year old uh there's a i think it's an eight-year-old rye or ten-year-old rye i mean these are going to be phenomenal whiskeys, and it's just going back to that nostalgia of like going in there, cracking open whiskeys, and uh, picking the best ones. Awesome.
1: Well, awesome. we're looking forward to that. So, I've got one last question for you, so we can wrap it up. And you know, through this whole podcast, we've been talking to you, and we can tell that your passion is there, right? <laughs> and you've been doing this for close to almost two decades now of of hustling and building your bars and making making them what they are today, and uh, seeing through the ups and down of the whiskey whiskey industry. Does there ever come a point where you feel like you've you've gotten burnout, or do you or do you just or how are you get over how do you get over that hump?
0: No, it, it, I never feel burnt out about whiskey. I just feel like, you know, drinking it,
2: a, you know, all night, you know, <laughs> for I, I 4 you, a.
0: it you know, it gets away from you <laughs> sometimes. Um, but you know what? It, it's really right now, it's just is there enough time to build the collection? I mean it's, it's just trying to keep making it better. And and once again, really sourcing it at a, at a price that then people can enjoy. So right now, it's the stress always comes in. Do we have enough? Can we get enough to keep offering it? Um, and that's that's the pressure it's on right now. I don't think it's not a burnout. I just put a lot of pressure on trying to find. Uh, you know, the great whiskeys that are coming out today, which, you know, we look at now is there's a ton of whiskey that gets produced, but which ones are the ones that you're going to want to drink in five years? You know, there's a lot of whiskeys. It's, it, we always say, you know, I'm sure the distillers follow this. It's it's not getting them to buy the first bottle. It's getting them to buy the second bottle. So my job is to find out which whiskeys come out currently that people are going to want to drink for five years. What are the next iconic ones? The ones that we uh, feel are the best. And then also going back and finding more bottles of the ones that we've been drinking over the last 20 years, 30 years, and uh, keeping enough of them that people would be able to come in. But it's, once again, you can't price people out of the market. You got to bring it at a price that people can and try it. Having a bunch of whiskey sitting on a shelf that are overpriced doesn't do anyone any good. You got to bring it out and then put it at a price. One thing I'm going to start is a whiskey club at Jack. And one of the things I'm going to offer is every time I find an amazing bottle at a really good price, only the members will be able to like, at that amazing price. Like if I snag this great bottle that, you know, I find wherever I get an auction, like nobody showed up and I was lucky enough to get a great bottle, but just wanting to share that kind of stuff. So... I don't know. Or I do mean, that's Osana. really the hustle. How do
1: I sign up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be crazy. I, I think not, I can't wait. A secret I, handshake, a card, whatever yeah. it is to get me in that club. I
0: think the next <laughs> 10 years are going to be amazing. There's a lot of great uh, distilleries out there now that are producing a lot of great stuff. Who's going to be the next, you know? I mean, obviously, uh, Willett's producing a lot of good stuff. Peerless. I don't know if you've been Kentucky Peerless. I think their stuff is going to be top, you know? And then outside of Kentucky, there's some other good guys out there. Sonoma Distilling in California. Yeah. Um, are, are making a lot of good stuff. You know, you got you got rye being made in Pennsylvania again at Dad's Hat. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. I can't wait to see how they how they progress and being able to source that stuff is going to be the
1: the key. I think so, they'll be more than happy to have their label on the on, bar at Jack's Rose. Yeah, Jack yeah. Rose. yeah. You know,
0: it's uh, they, a lot of the distillers come up. They're really gracious. They they take time to visit and they'll obviously do events and stuff with us. So you know, I think whiskey uh, and they're they're rock stars now. But they're obviously pretty humble. I mean, Jimmy Russell has probably been in, you know, a dozen times since we've opened and he's always been good about, you know, meeting people and photos and, uh, and sharing information um, with us. And know tell you the truth. If, if, a, if he thinks so, a whiskey's great, I'll tell you. And if you think a whiskey's bad, I mean, having that kind of honesty is uh, important because obviously when you're spending, you know, 50 bucks on a bottle, you know, buying something that you don't like or don't enjoy is uh it's a lot of money to ask people to, you know, and then asking somebody to spend 10 or 20 bucks on a shot, you know, an ounce of whiskey or two ounces of whiskey, um, that's a, you know, for a lot of people, that's a lot of money. And bourbon's always been, you know, affordable. and It's, it's always been the great. common
1: man's drink, really. That's right.
0: It is. It, you know what? But, it,
2: you know. Not anymore. And women's. It, and women it, sorry. It, it, it's not far to, from not common on the
0: taste, you know? I mean, yeah. you're right. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, you expect... You, you, these whiskeys that you, you know, you tried or you took for granted in high school.
2: Yep. Now you're like,
0: damn it. Why didn't I savor that? Why did I, you know, what was I thinking?
2: I had several though. Well, my, my dad had several of those back yeah. in the day and now I'm yeah. like, what the hell was I doing putting Coke with it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I know. It's crazy when we think back to some of our old drinking habits, but, um, you know, I keep pretty extensive tasting notes. And one of the, one of the things I always do with my tasting notes is I write down who was with me in the room. And I love looking back and saying, you know, you know, Harvey and Roberto and myself drank, you know, these bottles on this day. And you know, just cool. it's it's awesome. And I also uh, it's funny because a lot of people use the word smooth, right? And in my tasting group, that is a you no, verboten, no. You cannot say the word smooth because it doesn't give you any real descriptor. And one time I uh, was writing my tasting notes and I and I go in my tasting group, I was like, it's you know, it's smooth. And they just started yelling at me. They're like, "How dare you use that word?" And I held up my... T- Thank God I had my tasting. But I held it up and I said, "It said smooth and not in a good way." You know, like <laughs> I was like, "I can use it. I can use it as a bad, but I can't use it as good." So, um, you know, we take it pretty serious, and and that also gives you an opportunity to really enjoy each whiskey and kind of break it down. You know, spend thirty minutes with it. So try it with a drop of water, and not with a drop of water. Try it. I also find glassware big difference. You can try a whiskey and and Glen Cairn, and then you put it in a snifter, and it's a completely different whiskey. So uh, I think, you know, that's part of the fun is being able to try to cash drink, add your own water. You know, you basically get the same whiskey at one price, but you get to try it two different ways. And glassware, I mean, whether it's a snifter, whether it's, you know, a proprietary glass somebody's developing now, a Riedel or something like that, um, you can spend your life drinking the same whiskey in different you know settings, uh, which is great. But obviously there's still nothing better than a rickhouse in the middle of Kentucky, <laughs> you know. I, I think it's
1: cover. awesome. It. I think it's awesome. You got yeah. a you got a grown ass man's journal is what you have right there. <laughs> it, yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, an easy way to remember exactly not only just the whiskey itself, but the time that you had and what you talked yeah. about or anything else, right? So yeah. I'm sure there'll be a time you'll look back on it and and reminisce or anything like that. But we are wrapping up to the top of the hour here. We're, we know we've gone over, but. Bill I want to say thank you again yeah. for being on the show Great. today. Thank you for yeah, me. thanks man. That was awesome. Appreciate the time yeah. and the whiskey. It's, yes. You
2: Let's put keep, us in your, I wish I, wish, put I, had had a, your I wish I had a coke can right now that I could <laughs> yeah. And have people freak out right now yeah. that we're going to do something bad with us. So, so so do yeah. we get to make the tasting notes journal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true I tried This with these <laughs> two D bags really. <laughs> <laughs> this
0: little book is not it. I, um but
1: this is a list of stuff I'm buying. There and, you go. Uh, yeah, no, great. Thanks for having me. It's been a great time. Absolutely. So we'll give one more last plug to Jack Rose, how, the, how they can find you, how they can find you online, Twitter, and all those good uh, things.
0: Uh, you can go to jackrosediningsaloon.com. You can uh, uh, call us, obviously. Um, uh, Facebook, you can find us, Jack Rose Dining Saloon. We're in Washington, D.C. Uh, if you've got any whiskey to sell, it's uh, call me on my cell, 202-262-5637. <laughs> and uh, We'll make a deal. Thanks. That's a, awesome. That's
1: a first. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Somebody giving out their, their phone number, right? Yeah, cell phone. Call me anytime. And I believe Twitter's Jack Rose D C. Jack Rose in DC So there you go. So you can follow them on Twitter. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Bourbon Pursuit, Facebook, Bourbon Pursuit, Instagram, Bourbon Pursuit. Uh also support the show if you like what you hear. Patreon.com, P A T R E O N dot com slash Bourbon Pursuit.
2: Yup, and any uh show suggestions, feedback, uh, we always like to hear, you know, our get you know, suggestions from our fans. So I appreciate you all listening and we'll see you next time.
1: The next 16 minutes is bonus audio from sitting around and casually talking to Bill Thomas while drinking Johnny drum 12 year. There's even more bonus audio that you can only hear by supporting us on Patreon. This is a labor of love for us and your pledges help keep us motivated. Plus you get some pretty cool stuff in return like bourbon samples, koozies, stickers, and some t-shirts are going to be coming down as well. Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash/BourbonPursuit. So enjoy this bonus audio.
0: There, there we thanks. go. Nice job. Cheers. Oh, good job. Cheers. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. thanks
1: for me. You're out. <laughs> you, you weren't. You weren't talking, so you just kept drinking, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <He's enjoying. laughs> that was great. That was awesome. No, it was, was awesome. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you for taking the time and doing this.
0: Yeah, there's nothing I enjoy more than talking about whiskey. So
1: I yeah. I yeah. do. Me <laughs> I mean, people. Thanks. I'm not gonna say no. Yeah. I mean, there you go. Exactly. I
0: can't do it. Probably the only, time, <laughs> the
1: only time in my life I'll be able to try this yeah, until yeah, I come I back that. to make my way to DC. Yeah, I don't. I can't
0: remember the last time I drank Johnny Drum Twelve. It's you know. When you the 15?
2: I had some 15 at Drew's like a year ago.
0: 15 was one of my all time favorites, yeah. man. Love that one. You know when we because we distribute will It. In mm-hmm. uh, in Washington D.C., so I was the first salesman there. And Johnny Drum, fifteen, all the vintage rise, seventeen, twenty-one, like just stacks of cases in the warehouse in the And the vintages I couldn't sell to save my life; nobody yeah. wanted the vintage. Um, and the you know we'd have five different barrel picks in there. It was amazing back in the day. But uh, that's crazy. Uh, it's hindsight. What are you going to do? right? Yeah, yeah. I, I was lucky enough that I did do a lot of buying. Yeah, you know. So we stockpiled a pretty Buy good. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the bottles that we, I mean, we still have, you know, I mean, I still have original cases of, you know, the cardboard cases half filled of drum fifteen right. and stuff, but, uh, um, which is obviously why we we're able to keep the prices down a little bit. Oh, because you had because
1: you bought them for four dollars a bottle back then or something yeah. like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You know, those those old ryes were costing originally wholesale sixty five bucks a bottle, mm-hmm. and now they're seven grand.
1: Yeah. You That's know? Crazy. I think oh, I I know, made made
2: like,
0: <laughs> When I first crazy. started hunting, like, I mean, I went into one liquor store over in Northeast DC and bought probably two cases of Rebel Yell just sitting on the shelf. old old strip seals. Uh, you know, Granddad, the funny thing about Granddad 86s, I didn't buy those. I only liked the bond. I would leave the Granddad 86s yeah. on the shelf and take all the bonds. I would leave the Forster, old Forster 86s, all of that, you know? And I would only take the bonded stuff when I was hunting. That's All I wanted to drink, so
2: even a couple
1: of years
0: ago, too, you were like, Ah, that's still <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm still like, I'm the guy, I get a little. And uh, so I was in New York, and, and Jimmy and I were sitting on the same floor. And on the other end, I said, Jimmy, I saw it. I saw a bottle, somebody had sent me a photo of wild turkey rye, and then in the back it says made in Maryland. I was like, Is that legit? And he's like, Yeah, he goes, Back then, nobody would drink Kentucky rye, it had to be from Maryland, so Gross. I had to source it from Maryland and put wild turkey on it. That's
2: like the Pikesville rye right? yeah. used to be made in Maryland, right? Yeah. The Heaven Hill stuff. Yeah, you know?
0: Pikesville, um, uh, Baltimore Pure Rye, uh, Mount Vernon Rye, but, you know, Maryland Pennsylvania were the rye meccas. Yeah. So, so I finally just got two bottles of it. I've been trying to, somebody wanted to rip, well, they wanted me to trade a level Glover and Iron Fist
1: for it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a And one. I was like,
0: ah, that was a tough one. <laughs> yeah. And then a guy called me the other day and he had four of them and he let me buy two of them. So, I finally got the wild turkey rye. There I'm pretty excited. That's awesome. um, but it, it's just multi- Baltimore pure rye in a different package, but still. Mm-hmm. Right. Just the fact it is wild turkey in Maryland to me yeah. is like yeah. insane. because like you were
2: born in Maryland. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah. Yeah, I just had to have that bottle. That was one of my holy grail bottles for sure. <laughs> and that other one I just got, that 35 Stitzel. Did you see that? No. no. That? Where's is that? It? A, it is. Oh, it's on your end. It is. Sickening good.
1: I remember somebody saying you were at Whiskey Live. I was actually at Whiskey Live, but I didn't get a chance to meet you. I met Jared when I was there. Yeah,
0: I was oh. back in a VIP. They had me back in a VIP That's room. right. That's thir- My media I credentials that thing up the didn't other get day. me back there. So. That's a 30,
1: yeah. 35 to 42. I, was oh, I like did today. see that on Instagram. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I was looking. I didn't know any. Yeah, I was just out in the, the awesome. commoners area. I didn't know any 35s existed. Jesus Christ. Because
0: they were only open. Remember, they opened Derby Day in 1935. So I said, well, how much did they really produce in that, you know, that was any good? Maybe they dumped, I don't know. because um, I had a thirty I had I have two thirty-sixes that I bought at auction years ago. And I was like, Well, maybe there's no thirty-fives, so maybe this is the first year stutzel. And then Sean Brock was over at Julian's house, like about two years ago. He was in that and he goes, yeah, that he that he saw that Julian had a 35. Mm-hmm. So then I knew they existed. Right. Which bugged the shit out of me. And you're
1: because I don't have one. I don't have a 35. <laughs> so, <gonna> find it. <laughs> so then I found it. and then God, what, you guys are that? like you're like crazy, like like the master, like baseball card collectors. You guys have them, like everything. Well, I got about there. twelve
0: thousand cards. If you want them, I'll no, I'm good. I'm, <laughs> good. I'm good. I'm good. You want to buy them? Those for bourbon. Bourbon. Yeah. yeah, I will trade. Yeah, I would one good bottle of bourbon. You can have all twelve thousand. <laughs> but, oh. but uh, it better be tops. <laughs> yeah. um, and then somebody when I posted this, a guy sent me that he had a thirty-five as well. So we know that there's at least three thirty-five out so there now. Wow. No, he posted sent me the photo.
1: Oh, he did.
0: Yeah, he sent me the photo of it. it was, uh, Perry
2: was around for that. If
0: Perry was? <laughs> I have no idea. It was an old uh, I think it was an old Fit Show. It was a squat bottle, uh, 35. Wow. So and then that was uh, these were the other bottles that I bought in the collection. One of them's an old Hennessy back in the forties mm-hmm. or something like that, and a pepper. But the president of Hennessy was in the other night uh, from France. He was in and um, I had this Hennessy and I had this little tiny Hennessy from the turn of the century like a little half pint, and he we put him up on display, obviously, for, for the dinner. He, he was hosting a dinner, Jack, and uh, he saw it, and he's like, can I see that, and he pulled it over, and he's like laughing. He's like, he, to his lack, he's like, take photos. He's like, he goes, and it's like a really thick French accent. He goes, I have three and a half miles of archive. And he goes, I've never seen this. Wow. So he was taking a, he took a photo over to have his guy do research and see why, why they don't have a bottle of it, I guess. So maybe I can swap it for a trip to...
2: Yes. To France. France. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. Hey. Yeah. I would have no it.
0: problem. That's so that thirty-five stitzel I showed you, that guy bought it. His uh, he's like a fourth generation electrician in the Washington, DC area. And his father and his partner used to give away those bottles and the James E. Peppers as Christmas gifts to all their clients and stuff yeah. like that. So they had cases and cases of this stuff. And when the his dad had already passed away, but when his business partner passed away, um uh he bought the contents of the guy's house and the house and his car and just bought the whole house so they're all this whiskey so he called an auctioneer this was the late 70s he called an auctioneer and said uh, I got all this whiskey would you be interested in auctioning it off and it was the 35 cent and they go nah it's only worth exactly what uh, uh, whatever they bought it off the shelf at because it was the 70s nobody gave a shit <laughs> Right. About it. so he took it to the dump oh he, my kept, he kept one of each one for his back bar just for display and took all those whiskeys to the dock. I guarantee that 95% of the people, especially the older, like, yeah. parents' age and stuff like that, whose parents have right. died, they would not have any clue my, that mm-mm. people One of
2: my friends' see, grandparents just passed you know, away and they, yeah. they went through the, and they had a black, a gold vein wax. Oh, get uh, out of here. Yeah, and like, some William Louer Wellers and all this, and like, they're, he' just like, "Do you want this?" And he's like, "Oh uh, yes, <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> well that's what I keep saying. like
0: when people keep thinking like prohibition is rare every time there's especially right now with uh, you know people getting that much older in this area from that that time period, there's so much of that stuff that's coming and and more importantly, it's not going to the dump now because there's so much information out there about buying whiskey. Yeah. But it's surfacing very right. quickly right now because people think they can make a, a bunch of money on it. Or at least, like, uh, well, the, the thing is, they think they can get like a hundred bucks a bottle, and that's enough to get them interested in right. seeing what's in the basement. Sure. And say, then they realize you. that it's worth a thousand bucks a bottle.
1: Right. It's insane. I was about to say, it's not you posting all those. I get, I get pinged on Craigslist things at all the time. It's like, we want to buy your old whiskey. Yeah. Like, it's not you guys doing all that, is it? So. We've, never, <laughs> we, 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 we've, we've never posted
0: A little that low bad. key on that. You know what? We also don't do, I deal with mostly like private people because yeah. I'm not on any of the Facebook pages or anything like that because. I'm afraid that it'll give Jack Rose a bad, you, smart. you know, that's smart. like even like, even that, that's that Stitzel, I guess it was on another, he had posted that bottle that 35 cents on another website on, I can't remember the drinks planet. And, um, he got glow balled by a ton of people. They want to give him like 300 bucks. And, um, he had made a, he, he had made a tentative deal with the guy and the guy was going to PayPal him the money. And he's like, okay, but when your guy comes to pick it up, I want him to, I want a picture of me with a sign that says all whiskey was good. He didn't want to, he was afraid. And the guy dropped the ball. He was going to sell all those bottles, the pepper and all that for a thousand bucks. And I, and he called me as a, he goes, what would you give me for this? And I was like, uh, what, what we offered is like a thousand bucks for all of them. I was like, I'll give you at least 3,500 for the one bottle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we ended up settling at uh, 6,000 for like four bottles and a bunch of miscellaneous crap. But you know That's what? I think idea. that, that yeah. builds your reputation. That's how you get those connections. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Cause if you're, you might, you know, win one bottle here and there, but you're never gonna. Yeah. You know, you build and, I, and we need, I mean, I hate to say it. We, we just need access yeah. to product, you know, all the time. I mean, it's just, it, it's tough. It's good. That means people are drinking whiskey though.
1: You know. I was like, I don't think our listeners are going to help you get access to it. <laughs> I know, because I know. they'll probably want to keep it for themselves, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, you never that's know. why I said trade. You treat. never know. That's, that's right. why I said I'm
0: willing to trade. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know?
2: Maybe
0: that'll open up uh, an avenue, but uh, we'll it see. It's
2: funny though, people do call, Like they would just email the restaurant, and they're like, I'm trying to get in touch with Bill Thomas. Like, they find like the Washington Post article about like the yeah. hunting for stuff, and then they just. And they're like, oh, this guy buys, you know, whiskey and then they Yeah, get that
0: bottle. I was also in a bidding war with somebody it. in California on that that stitzel. I got to his house. I didn't know I was bidding against anybody. Mm-hmm. I got to the house, and he's like, "Well, I got to give this guy in California a last uh, after he he went because he I didn't know him, but he knew who I was, and he wanted to hear my bid before. <laughs> oh I yeah. <laughs> one. And I was just like, I was sitting there. I was like, well, I just took a seat. I was like, well, I'll just wait till you reach him because I guarantee I'll be the high bidder. Yeah, regardless, because I really wanted that bottle and we sat there and it was like I got there first thing in the morning he called me that night I was there at 10am the next morning and uh, it was 7am California time so he kept trying to call the guy and he's like he's normally would, normally answered and he never <laughs> answered he goes I'll tell you what uh, I sat there and I was just in his living room waiting for the guy to call and he's like I'll give him 15 more minutes if he doesn't call
1: I'll just sell it to you I'll you.
0: sell it to you and I was, like, I was like you name the price you know so he's the one that threw out the six grand I was like done but I only had 50 5200 on me in cash. And I was just like, uh, I go, I tell you what, he goes, it's 6,000 plus I get to come down and have a drink in your restaurant. And I said, how about 6,000? And you bring your family down and we'll treat them to dinner and everything. And that's what he, he did. He came and picked up, that's picked cool. up the, uh, and I got it. He goes, Do you want me to? He goes, hey, do you want bubble wrap? We'll wrap all these boxes. I was like, no, just give me a box. I want to get out of here. <laughs> I threw him in a box. I was like literally out the door. I don't want this guy to call. I
1: was like, I was so, I was like
0: please don't call. Please don't call.
1: That's awesome.
0: And what's the rules with like other, like, so you said on the podcast, I was listening. the, the uh,
1: yeah, you, you were here.
0: Other, <laughs> other cities. going to move this away now. <laughs> like other places with bars, they can't just buy and then sell.
1: Most no, no, of the bars DC, are doing, yeah. It, or well, doing they, it. Yeah, just yeah. D.C. I mean, other D.C. Yeah. bars can. I just don't think they do it at the scale right. that you all do, yeah. right?
0: I remember Mike Miller. California oh, yeah, had some...
1: Loser lose Loser I mean, is oh, oh, every like I know Prov buys a bunch of stuff and sells them in his store and stuff like that too. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, in fact, Prov the first barrel I when I was buying Velvet Glove and Iron Fist back in the day, I um Prov and I were doing a lot. I was buying all of his B and even way okay. back in the day, back in the early two thousands. Yeah, Prov would call me like, hey, I just got in my allocation. Nobody wanted them back then. Do You want him? I was like, yeah. I was buying all of his pappies, all of his B and um, when I came up with the barrel thing, I got back from DC after meeting with Drew. I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to buy these barrels. Do you, do you think you might want to buy some of them from me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's like, wait a second. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's funny now. He probably was the first guy that I talked to about uh, buying any, because I was like, I can't take a whole barrel of whiskey. And yeah. I bought three. Yeah. I had to go hustle. So I went to Prov. He was the first guy I called and said, hey, would you buy some uh, some Willets from me? So it's crazy to think back to that. Oh, no. You know? Awesome. So, yeah, Prov's Prav, been a good guy over the years. And then he got into it. Then he got into the, full force yeah you know every those facebook pages just launched a whole nother
1: world Um, you could you could look at it one thing you could say facebook helped it or it ruined bourbon right it's one or the other so it's it it's pretty painful and the problem is because i stay off of those pages
0: jared i I have jared now he has to um yeah he gives me a go between he gives me updates yeah like what's what's popping like i'm like tell me anything anytime anything takes a big price jump because I got to be out there buying, and I need to know: am I being competitive
1: or not? Like competitive? Right now, Booker's twenty fifth is going through the roof. In that's del- it's crazy. Like, I mean, I think it's good whiskey. Don't get me wrong. I think it's up to yeah. $550, five fifty, six hundred now a bottle. I think it, it was, last year it was three three fifty. So, it's, it's insane. So yeah, that's Between one to keep your eye out on. Oh, it's everything. Everything.
0: even like one oh seven Weller one oh seven. Right. I just <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, I just bought eighteen Weller one oh seven paper paper labels yeah. two days ago. At 250 a bottle, I was, I was like happy with that because that yeah. means, you know, we only have 10 bucks into it an ounce, so it yeah. keeps us, you know, pretty stashed with that for a while. Crazy and, you know, connections you got. <laughs> this guy I've known for years. A guy who, really? was, when he used to pick barrels with Drew too, and I, I would clear him through the distribution company for him. Um, then he called me. He's he's been getting. He's been selling his whole collection, so. Except for his 1789 stuff, you know, 1789B, those guys. Oh, the…
1: Uh, the um, group, it, the barrel group. Oh, okay. That's so, a, a lot of those see. guys, a lot of guys in that… I've room. seen an old Scout with 1789B yeah. on it. There's a that's lot of the guys that start that are the old school guys. The yeah. guys that
0: were, you know, even 15, 20 years older than me mm-hmm. and have been buying for, for years. And now they've cashed, they're cashing out of everything but 1789 stuff. Because yeah. <laughs> they have plenty of 1789 to drink now, so they're… Right, like, so they're, everything they're else. done. And it's a good market for them. They're like, you know, I've done deals as high as, you know, hundred grand, you know, buying up stuff. Her and I did a great deal in Indiana, sixty about sixty fifteen fifty nine thousand. Um, and the shit that was in that <laughs> you
2: drove it all back in a U haul. I did.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we well, first of all, we didn't drive it. You're like, Whoa, no we bumps, went, no we went we went Indiana, back to Kentucky. We were we were hunting and then into uh, Missouri, then looped around through Ohio. <laughs> Came just around in right. a U-Haul, <laughs> just loading the truck. Oh god, we yeah. like American Pickers. <laughs> just, yeah. just stopping in random yeah. places. Just stopping. Well, you know, it, be hitting people I knew along the way. So oh okay. Just hitting.
1: Just hitting up like liquor stores. Literally yeah. just like yeah. American in Missouri,
0: we were going yeah. in Missouri because we had never been there. We were going to liquor store, liquor store in the U-Haul. Yeah, wasn't
2: that when
0: all the Booker's? Uh, and Booker's. Uh, yeah, Booker's twenty fifth had just come yeah. out, so we were just like Booker's. So we picked.
2: It was like that day, like we had just gotten, yeah.
0: I remember when uh, Four Roses 120th came out because the 40th came out kind of nobody really knew when it came out. It Mm -hmm. just kind of came and went. So I was like, shit, the next time they do a special release, I'm going to be right on it. And I called Guthrie and I said, hey, man, is 120th hit your store yet? And he goes, it just came in today. And I said, okay, I'll see you in the morning. And I flew in. (laughs) I flew in, bought, and went to every – I ended up with uh, like 15, 16 cases. I went every liquor, barn, everything, just hit them all. Took every bottle I could get. And and, and uh, we're still using that today. That that that's probably the biggest buy I've ever done. The 120s? The 120s. Yeah. You know? I ended up with like 70 bottles or something
1: crazy. <laughs> you know? Just hunting. But back then, they were just sitting there, too. So if you think you have a bunker, you don't really have a bunker until you go to Jack <laughs> yeah. Run's. <there>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I going not miss. I drink it all. As soon care? as I get
0: it. I was seeing the Parker's Heritage. When I was camping out for Parker's Heritage, um, I was the first person to ever buy Parker's Heritage. And I mean, the first I was there when they pulled the barrel samples. And they had them, and I tried to write from the. And I was like, "What is this going to be?" They're like, "Well, we've got a name for it, but we don't have any bottling." And I was like, "I'll take four cases."
1: (laughs) And um, they were like, "Yeah, but we don't." You're talking about the twenty-seven year like PhD one? No, no, this year's
0: the 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 PhD one was released two. The very first there was the uh, Parker's one was uh, just bourbon, and there was like four different proofs. Okay, okay. And um, what
1: was was
0: it called? Like it was just Parker's Heritage. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the cognac. It wasn't the 27th right. Golden Anniversary. Those are the first and Parker's Wheat. It was the very first one. So it was just called Parker's Heritage. No finish. And um, Lynn, who ran the gift shop or ran the Heritage Center, uh, she said, OK, you know what I'll do? I'll just charge you for them now. We know what we're going to charge for him. And I'll drive them to you when I come up to see my family in Annapolis for Thanksgiving. And then she she called me. She's like, I can't make it. I'm not coming up for Thanksgiving. I was like, "Shit!" I was gonna be the first person to ever have it. Now I'm gonna be. So I had to buy it from the distributor. So I bought like four cases from the distributor because you could actually do that back then. Mm-hmm. And then like months later, she drove me up. So I still have four cases of Parker's One. Wow. From just because of that stupid mistake of her not making it. Right. Yeah. You know. It
2: is the best Lucky. mistake,
0: best mistake <laughs> ever. <laughs> but, because if not, I would have never ordered it from the distributor. Right. So that was the luckiest.